Welcome to the Knox Presbyterian Church podcast. We hope this is a blessing to you. Let's jump into the sermon. Uh, I have learned that this church, particularly the men of this church, have a way of expressing their love through bacon. You may have smelled it when you came in for church this morning. Sadly, it's not for us, uh, but for the participants in the Great Banquet Weekend, which is happening uh, right now as we speak. They're finishing up downstairs. Uh, And bacon, I heard, is one of the ways that love is expressed uh, to those retreat participants. My husband, Dave, being one of them, he's not here in here today with us. He's downstairs uh, going through the retreat for his first time, and and I did get to run into him briefly when I came in early this morning, and he, along with everyone else, they're just having a a great time. So we can continue to uh, cover them in prayer as they are are just, the whole point of that retreat is just to wrap people in love, bacon and otherwise. (laughs) Uh, Another wonderful reason to celebrate this morning is we have some longtime ministry partners here visiting with us today, Laith and Carol Fuji. You guys could stand and just greet people. We welcome them. They are here visiting, and we're so very glad. Uh, For purposes uh, 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 kind of related to our live stream, we can't go into great detail about their work here, but um, I encourage you to ask them. Dave had some time to sit down and learn about their ministry with them this last week, and so after the service, ask them uh, what God is doing in and through uh, them in the ways that they're serving. uh, You'll be encouraged to hear. We are continuing uh, this morning in our fall sermon series, Better Together. Uh, But before we jump into where we're going, I want to do a little recap for where we have been. The whole series, all fall long, from September 11th up until right before Thanksgiving, the series is all entitled Better Together. But if you're somebody who reads your bulletin closely, you may have noticed that over time the little subtitle has changed, and there's a reason for that. Uh, We pastors like to use our words and play with our words and just have a lot of words, right? Um... But as we got started, those first two weeks, the subtitle was Claimed Together. We started this whole series out with the two, uh, with this foundational reality, looking at the story of, of Jesus's, that Jesus told of the man with the two lost sons, right? Talking about this reality that we are claimed by Christ together. That's just the foundation of all of it. Then Dave went on the next two weeks uh, with a a subtitle that we are called together. We've been claimed by Christ together. We are called by Christ together, called to follow Jesus with our own imperfect lives, called to witness to Jesus in our own imperfect ways. So then starting today, for the remainder of this series, we're going to talk about life together. Because if it's true that we are claimed together and then called together, well, that means then by necessity we're going to be doing life together. And that, at times, is going to take some work. For us to do life together well, we are going to occasionally need some help. Because the reality is, get to know people well enough, you'll, you'll soon discover that there's, there's one way in which you can kind of categorize people into two groups. You know, there's lots of different ways we can think about humanity, but this is one way, two different groups. First are the kind of people who are easy to love. 
right? They may be people in your family or your friend group, people who are easy to love or the kinds of people who are smart and, and kind and funny and while they're so, you know, what such wonderful people, they're also humble and they're generous and, and they love you and you love them back and it's this wonderful reciprocity of love. We just wish we could spend all our time with the people who are easy to love because we love to love them and be loved by them. Unfortunately, we cannot spend all our time with the people who are easy to love because there's that second group. And you might be able to guess where I'm going with this. The second group are people we also have to spend time with and they are the ones who are hard to love. These are the people who drive us crazy with their annoying little habits. You know, people who talk too much. You know, there's those people who talk too little. Just people, oh, they're just always so bushy or you know, she's so passive all the time. People who, who are, are so neat, they need everything in, their, you know, in its place or the people who are just, everything's everywhere and they're so messy, you know, whatever it is, whatever it gets you, you've got those people in your life who are a little bit more hard to love. But here's where things get complicated, because in reality, there are not just two groups of people, because you've got the people who are easy to love, you got the people that are hard to love, and you spend any amount of time with anybody, and those categories seem to overlap. There's like just this Venn diagram of just people, like the people who maybe at one time were easy to love, you spent a little more time with them, and a little more time with them, and all of a sudden you started to discover that they had some things about them that you may not have known, and then they branched over into this category, they're not so easy to love, right? And before we start getting a little judgy, I mean, they're doing the same thing for you, right? We also, I also am not always so easy to love. Spend time with any person, enough time with any person, no matter who they are, you're going to discover that there's something about them that makes them hard to love, and you also for them. Simpler way of putting this is just relationships are hard. Community, doing life together does not always come easy. The Bible actually has a lot to say about how we engage in our relationships with each other. If you read through the New Testaments, get past the, the first four books, the Gospels, the, the, the primary genre of the rest of the New Testament is its letters. These were letters that were written to Communities of people just like us, communities that were filled with people who were easy to love and hard to love. And all throughout these letters, you'll see this one Greek word interspersed throughout. It's this Greek word, alelone. Alelone means one another. It actually shows up 58 times throughout the New Testament, and it's always paired with an action word practical ways that we can learn to do life with one another, even when it's hard. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of this series. We're going to look at several of these loans, these one another phrases, starting today with the most fundamental one another there is. Love one another. So we're going to turn to scripture together to get us started. We're going to look at two passages from scripture, both of them written by the man who was known as Jesus' beloved disciple. His name was John. 
And in this first passage, we're going to read, John is quoting Jesus. This is from John 15. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. Second reading is from one of John's letters written to one of the early Christian communities. He writes, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. To love one another, excuse me. Love one another. That's what Jesus said we ought to do. So today, looking more closely at both Jesus and John's words, the first thing I want us to think about is why. Why? The particular reason that that those of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, why we love one another. John tells us very clearly. He writes, Beloved, since God loved us so much. We also ought to love one another. So why do we love one another? Because God first loved us. This is, this is so important. This is so just foundational to all of this because we all know. We, we know because we just talked about it, but we know because we live in this world that there are people out there that are hard to love. When we were talking about them, you know, I I know that for you, probably some names and some faces came to mind. I hope there wasn't elbowing of the person sitting next to you, but you knew you could picture the people in your life that are difficult for you to love. Whoever that person or people are for you, you can try your hardest to love that person, but sooner or later, you are going to fail. Your own efforts are not going to be good enough. And friends, I want to tell you, not 
only is that okay, that's the point. That's the point. Jesus isn't asking us to love anyone by our own efforts. Jesus is asking us to love with his efforts. This love that Jesus commands, it starts with him. It starts with receiving the love that he has for us. So that means coming to a place where you understand how hard you can be to love. How hard I can be to love. And knowing that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves me right in that place. In the midst of all your sin, all your shame, all your mess, all your mistakes, Jesus came and loved you. Jesus didn't wait until you were easy to love because the reality is you never will be. None of us will. Do you know that you are loved like that? Have you received God's gift of love for you in Jesus Christ? If you haven't, well, the very, very best thing you can do for yourself and for the people that you are trying to love is to say yes to Jesus' love for you. Because that is why we love one another. Because in Jesus Christ, we have been loved. It's also how we love one another. We love because of Jesus, and we love like Jesus. So Jesus said, he said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. So that begs the question, how? How does Jesus love? The early church had a one-word answer for that question. That word was agape. Agape. Jesus loves with an agape love. And there's a couple things that are special, unique, about agape love. First, agape love is unconditional. There is nothing we can do to make God stop loving us. There is nothing we can do to make God start loving us. We can't make God love us anymore with our good and stellar behavior. We can't make God love us any less with our bad behavior. No sin or struggle, no doubt or disease, nothing can cause God to stop loving you. Agape love is free, unconditional, and undeserved. So if God's love for us is unconditional, well, that means our love for one another ought to be as well. I have to tell an embarrassing story on myself. A few weeks ago, when Greg and Kathleen were here, I think it was my very first, our very first Sunday here, they were out in the commons with baby Owen. We had not met yet. Like, we, as adults, we had not shook hands and said, hello, my name is Becca, you know, the pleasantries of adult life, right? Hadn't done that. I just saw Kathleen with Owen, and like something came over me as does like women of a certain age or something, I don't know, where I just was like overcome with like, oh my gosh, I need to see that baby and squeeze his little feet. Like I just had this moment. Like Kathleen's holding him like, 
hello, stranger grabbing my child's feet right now. Like, I was, I was not in a good place. Um, but I just needed to. Like, we do that sometimes. I actually heard Candace this morning when she saw the baby. She's like, uh, you know, again, as a mom, like, we just love little babies. We love them, and then we want to hand them back, too. But here's the thing. I just, I just needed to love that baby. There was no reason for it, right? So this is going to sound a little harsh in a second, but stick with me because it's also true. There is something that happens like when we want to just love little babies like that that defies logic because in reality, if you're thinking logically about it, babies are useless. <laughs> right? They can't do anything for us. In fact, they only take from us. They cry, they eat, they sleep. Sometimes they do some other choice things that we won't talk about in church. That's all they do. We have to do everything for them. We've got to feed them. We've got to change them. We gotta, they can't even walk. I mean, what good are they anyway, right? And yet, we love them. We love them. We don't love them because of their use to us. I didn't want to go up and squeeze little, little feet because I was like, can you also walk up to my office and do my taxes? Thank you. Like, <laughs> that baby could do nothing for me, and yet all I wanted to do was love it. I have a point. My point is, what, what would it look like if we loved every person in our lives? Young, old, big, small. What if we loved every person with that kind of love? Maybe not like the squeak, feet squeezing kind, but just loved them, not because of what they could do for us or provide for us, simply because they exist with no condition. What kind of impact do you think it would make in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhood if we made the intentional effort rooted in Jesus' love for us to make it known to every person in our lives that our love for them would never be based on anything they could do but was a free and unconditional gift? What if we loved like that? Agape love is unconditional. Agape love is also active. It's more than warm, fuzzy feelings. Jesus didn't come and just feel great love for us. Jesus came and acted in great love for us. This is how we know what agape love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. The love God has for us and the love we ought to have for one another, it is a verb. It is something you do regardless of how you're feeling. It's a book I was assigned in seminary to read. It's a book on marriage. It's called Getting the Love You Want. It's by a, an author and a therapist named Harvel Hendricks. And in this book, he writes about his experience helping couples who mar whose marriages are struggling. And one of the exercises he gives these couples in his practice to, to, to work on is something that he calls re-romanticizing. Re-romanticizing. He's essentially asking the couples to artificially reconstruct the conditions of romantic love. 
So here's how this works. The husband and wife, they're, they're each asked to, to write down a list. Just write down a list for them of positive and specific ways that their partners can please them. Things that their partner can do that will make them happy, right? So, you know, one may write down, you know, it, I guess it would feel good if, if you would rub my shoulders, you know, for 15 minutes while we're watching TV. Or another could write down, you know, I, I would feel happy if you brought me breakfast in bed. I mean, you could probably think of your own list. If you, you know, took out the garbage, if you, you know, did the dishes, whatever, whatever. Just if it's going to make you feel happy, if it's going to make you feel loved, you write it down. And the couples exchange lists. And the rule is, over the following week, that each couple has to choose at least three ways they are going to do something on their partner's list that week, whether they feel like it or not. And without fail, despite their misgivings at first, the couples who actually engaged in these activities, couples who acted in love and care toward one another, regardless of what they were feeling, within one to two weeks, they found that their feelings started to change. Where there was once bitterness, they started to feel some tenderness. Where there was once only anger, it started to soften. Couples reported gradual improvement in their relationships. They were treating each other more lovingly, which gave them a better grounding to start kind of working on all, all the stuff that had led to all the problems in the first place. This exercise, this idea, it wasn't Harville Hendricks's idea. This was Jesus' idea. When we love like Jesus loved, it doesn't start with feelings. It starts with action, and it is not limited to troubled marriages. We're going to do this thing for the rest of this series, all the life together portion of this series, we are going to put this into practice. Every week, we're going to give you a life together practice. We want you to take out and do it. And here's your practice for this week. I want you to think again, and again, don't look at them if they're in the room, but think again of that person who came to mind for you that is hard to love. Again, it could be a family member, spouse, friend, coworker, neighbor, whatever it is. Who is that person that comes to mind when you think of people who are hard to love? I want you this week to, quote unquote, re-romanticize them, which is to say, Act in love toward them. Think of three specific things you can do this week, and don't tell them that you're doing it. Just do it. Three specific ways you can act in love toward that person, and just see. Just see if your feelings don't start to follow suit. We love one another. Why? Because in Jesus Christ, we have been loved. How? We love in the way that Jesus loved us, with unconditional, active, agape love. The final question is, what happens next? What can we expect to happen when we love one another like that? Well, I can think of at least two things. When we love one another, with the love of Christ, something happens out there and something happens in here. When we love one another, something happens out there. 
to those who witness our agape love. John notes something pretty clear. He says, no one has ever seen God. He's right. No one's ever seen God. No one can physically see God. And that lack of God's physical presence here on earth, quite understandably, leads many to doubt God's existence. But there's something we can do about that. John says, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides, God lives in us, and God's love is perfected in us. People can't see God, but they can see you. And they can see you when you love unconditionally. When no matter who a person is, no matter where they come from, no matter what they have done, when you go out of your way to treat them with love and respect, they see it. People can't see God, but they can see you. They can see you when you love actively, when you take the time, the energy, the commitment to give yourself in love, when you sacrifice something that matters to you because they matter more. People can't see God, but they can see you. And when we love one another, something happens out there. People who can't see God see you, and they begin to see God's love in Something happens out there. But something also happens in here. And what happens in here when you really, truly love with the agape love of Jesus Christ? Well, that's best described in a story. The story many of us may have grown up with, the story of the Velveteen Rabbit, written by Marjorie Williams. It's a children's story of a a toy rabbit that eventually becomes real. And my favorite part in this story is a conversation between the rabbit and another toy creature, one who had lived longer in the nursery than any other toy. It's the skin horse. The velveteen rabbit turned to the old, wise, and experienced skin horse one day, and he asked, what is real? Does it mean having things that buzz inside you and a a stick-out handle? And the skin horse replied, Real isn't how you're made. It's a thing that happens to you. When a child loves you for a long, long time, not just to play with, but really loves you, then you become real. Does it hurt? asked the rabbit. Sometimes, said the skin horse, for he was always truthful. When you are real, you don't mind being hurt. Does it happen all at once or bit by bit? Doesn't happen all at once, said the skin horse. You become. It takes a long time. Generally, by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get all loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter at all because once you are real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. Beloved, let us love 
one another. Let us love one another because God first loved us. Let us love one another with agape love, unconditionally and actively. Let us love one another in such a way that people see God's love in our love. And let's love in such a way that we become real. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information on how to get connected here at Knox, please visit knoxprez.org.